Astonishing Legends would like to thank Away, The Great Courses Plus, Squarespace, and our supporters at Patreon for making tonight's show possible. Postmortem, Patris Profilio. This is the motto of the town of Pontefract in West Yorkshire, England, and it was stamped into the first coin struck in history in devotion to Charles II in 1649 by the people living in Pontefract Castle. The Latin on the coins translated to, After the death of the father, support the son. They made these coins upon receiving word that their king, King Charles I, had been beheaded by the parliamentarians in the course of the English Civil War. King Charles had refused to acquiesce what he believed were his divine rights as king to the parliamentarians challenging his authority, and that ultimately wound up costing him his head. But before that, in 1645, the parliamentarians had lain siege for three months at the beginning of the year, bombarding the castle with 1,367 cannon shots and having nothing to show for it more than the destruction of one small tower. Recognizing the futility of their assault, the parliamentarians were likely planning to wait until the folks within the castle ran out of supplies. But it was not to be in this instance. Royalist reinforcements arrived, and when the parliamentarians turned to fight, they found themselves under attack from both in front and behind by those they had pinned down in the castle. This is known as the Battle of Checkerfield, and the parliamentarians would not win that day. Pontefract Castle would change hands three more times during the English Civil War before the reigning monarchy fell. Controversial English military and political figure Oliver Cromwell called the castle one of the strongest inland garrisons in the kingdom. After the third siege, with Parliament finally in power, the Pontefract locals petitioned to have the castle slighted or torn down. For them, it only stood for warfare, bloodshed, and death. The new government obliged, and today, this famous castle, once written about by Shakespeare, is nothing more than a ruin. A subdivision of council housing built by the government and known as Checkerfield Estates now stands on the very site that bloody battle for the castle took place in 1645. One could easily imagine how a lost spirit from the Battle of Checkerfield might haunt the residences now standing on that hallowed ground. But if you believe the locals, the dead from that battle may not be the only ones wandering the land. Legend has it that around a century before the English Civil War broke out, during the reign of Henry VIII, a monk from the local Cluniac Priory, established in 1090, was convicted for the assault and strangulation death of a young girl. This monk was sentenced to be executed by hanging, and he was marched to the gallows that stood just feet from the front door of what is now 30 East Drive in Checkerfield Estates. The Pritchard family, the last people to live at that address, will tell you that even though some people say it never happened, the black monk of Pontefract is real, and he has taken up residence in that house. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. You've got the devil in this house. Maud Pierce, Joe Pritchard's sister after spending one night at 30 East Drive, from the book Poltergeist, a classic study in destructive hauntings by Colin Wilson. 
Join us tonight for part one of a two-part series on the Black Monk of Pontefract. And we're back. Whoa, Michael Caine. Well, that, that, yeah, I don't do the classic lines because then you would uh, sniff out that it's not that great. That's pretty good, though. I like <laughs> well, that thank one. you so much. Yeah, I, I yeah. appreciate it. Well, it's getting close to October, and, you know, that's when we pull out all the stops. Has it already been a year since we did the Black Eyed Kids series? Yeah, can you believe that? I, yeah, sort of in one way, yes, and another, no. Because <laughs> it seems so. It just seems like a, uh, a couple of months ago, not, uh, not a whole year. I'll tell you what, I used to think nothing made time fly like having a kid, but throw producing a podcast in there and you'd better buckle up. <laughs> you know, well, this podcast is my child. Yeah. <laughs> All right, just quickly, folks, our favorite time of year is upon us, the fall, and October specifically. Uh, we tend to wander over to the dark side this time of year, and the dark side tends to welcome us back. So a couple of quick things to point out. You asked, and we heard the call, so we are finally rolling out some hoodies for those of you that live in cooler climates. And the first batch of them are going to be limited edition special ones for Halloween. They're so cool. Cool, they may not even keep you warm. <laughs> That's no, no. He's joking. That's <laughs> they're they're heavy duty and will totally keep you warm. And that is so cool. I wasn't even a. I, I knew that that was in the works. I did not know that it had come to fruition. Yes. Uh, so those are being printed up soon, and we're going to let you know when they're in the store. There will be some other new stuff coming too, which we've already alluded to. So just keep an eye on everything. Oh, and by the way, the coffee mugs are back. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, and Al's face is going to stay on them this time. <laughs> so head over to the store through our website and get your mugs going. Our home office has even hired extra people to deal with that. All right. Well, anyway, so like what Scott was saying, uh, October is our time. We've got four shows in a row planned uh, this year, and they're going to get increasingly scarier as they progress. And our Halloween show this year is like nothing we've ever done before, quite honestly. It involves a personal experience that we were all present for and a recording that Scott got at a haunted location. And I got to say, honestly, it really did change his entire perception of the universe. Uh, yeah, and right now we're playing this up for a little drama, obviously, but I'm dead serious when I say I'm still having a hard time revisiting what happened and honestly only partly want to take part in the Halloween episode myself. Well, all right. Well, that's a few weeks off, but it's not too early to start wandering over to the other side of the veil. So let's get to talking about the Black Monk. Yeah, that's what we're here for tonight. But listen, before we get into it, we wanted to credit the author who we got a lot of really great information from for this episode. It's one chapter in his book, right? Yeah. It, you know, although this case is infamous, contemporary documentation of it pretty much doesn't exist. You know, the story was a big deal at the time, but then it was apparently quickly forgotten about. A lot of these stories, they go on forever. They become right. if Jeff, the talking mongoose, mm-hmm, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It stays with everyone for a long time but for whatever reason this kind of faded from the zeitgeist yeah word i haven't gotten used to one. <laughs> right. if it hadn't been for the reporting that this gentleman colin wilson did right. uh, back in the uh the book came out in 1996 right. and the original case took place in the 70s so he did a bunch of research and uh his book is really the seminal book on it it's called poltergeist a classic study in destructive hauntings so, I'm sorry, it didn't come out in 96, it came out in 93, 1993. So, I want to read a little bit of uh, Mr. Wilson's bio as it's cited in uh, Wikipedia. Colin Henry Wilson was an English writer, philosopher, and novelist. He also wrote widely on true crime, mysticism, and the paranormal. Wilson called his philosophy new existentialism or phenomenological existentialism and maintained his life work was, quote, that of a philosopher and his purpose to create a new and optimistic 
existentialism. There's a lot of existentialism. Yeah, good job. I was going to say on phenomenological existentialism. Yeah, that was not. <laughs> yeah, I did. Can you believe right. I did that in one take? Yeah, I know. Very good. Wilson's book actually covers a few fascinating cases, like you alluded to a minute ago. For us, mm-hmm. the Black Monk being one of them. You can find a link to it in our show notes with this episode, and it's available on the Kindle too if you're the instant gratification type. If it wasn't for Wilson, firsthand details of this story might have been lost forever. So uh, we salute him. Yeah, um, yeah. He passed away in 2013, so no chance for us to interview him. Honestly, I would love to have talked to him about his research on this case. Uh, and, and his information is so detailed. He spoke to so many original witnesses. And the other thing I love about him is his approach to speculation. Like us, he didn't take anything at face value. And also what I found is that the longer we do this, the more our theories align with others in the field. There's something about, you know, and I wanted to talk to you about this for Mm -hmm. a second for us. There's something about the experience of studying the paranormal that brings you around to the same viewpoint as a lot of your peers, even though you get there on your own. Everybody takes their own journey. But the thing I found, especially with us being on the road more lately, is... Uh, everybody seems to have the the Venn diagram of philosophy on on what's happening overlaps way more than you think it would. Well, uh, just quickly here, but I hadn't really thought about this until you brought it up here, is if you approach this with an open mind, and and I mean not a debunker, you can be a healthy skeptic, uh, but just collecting data with an open mind, is that once you do all that and you start lining stuff up, there's only so many... I guess, explanations that make sense in, in a spiritual nature. And again, that's kind of being open to there being a supernatural world, a, a world beyond this life. And once you go to accept that, it's like, okay, then what's happening? You have to decide what your parameters are. Exactly. And we've talked about that before. It's like once you, once you do that and you decide that not outright, that all of this is bunkum, if you're willing to accept the data and just accept the stories— you know, most of them, again, interviewing these people in person, and that's how you kind of get a feel. Because sometimes I, I think people, you know, especially kids, they might fake some things or add on to a, a series of events, uh, thinking that it's going to help their story or they just want the attention. And an experienced investigator can kind of sniff that out. Yeah. So once you take these uh, stories as being like, well, I think that's pretty close to what happened. Then you start drawing conclusions, and I think the conclusions, to your point, start leading you into the same areas. I agree. All right, well, we're going to move on to the story at hand here. You heard a little bit about it in the cold open. Uh, We're going to be talking here about the first part of the chapter in uh, Wilson's book that we mentioned before, and we're paraphrasing here for the show, of course. Uh, This is, uh, in particular, uh, location 1737 of the Kindle edition of the book, 1737. Uh, They don't do pages. I would prefer it if they did pages. (laughs) Well, I guess the location is... No, because all your screens are different sizes. Right. It depends on how zoomed in you are or whatever, so they have to say this. It's like a a book code. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this story centers around the Pritchard family, P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D, Joe and Jean Pritchard, who had moved into their new house in 1966 at 30 East Drive in Pontefract with their two kids, Philip and Diane. Now, at the time, Philip was 15 and Diane was 12 years old. Right. And Joe's the father. uh, Jean is the mother, because those are actually two names that can be transposed with gender. That's, That's a good point. Thanks for pointing that out. So the start of events for this family, when they got into the house, it all began when Some of the family members took a trip and some stayed behind. Uh, Colin Wilson paints it out as 
uh, really, Philip was a teenager, and uh, the rest of the family was going to visit extended family on a little holiday, and he didn't care about that because he's, right. you know, his teen, rebellious teen wanted to stay home. Right. And so he stayed home with his grandmother, Mrs. Sarah Scholes. It's S-C-H-O-L-E-S. And yes, I looked up how to say her name. Mm-hmm. It, does sound, it looks like Scholes, but it's right, Scholes, right. uh, according to... Uh, What's that site you like? Forvo.com. Yeah, well, it's all one guy. It's Moon Cow. So yeah. a British male <laughs> adult. So blame him if all of these are wrong. Yeah, well. Including, this, including Pontifract. Pontifract. Yeah. Yes, it's like Pontiac. That's how I'm remembering. Oh, yeah, that's Pontifract. Yeah, good. So Philip stayed back with his grandmother. Everyone else is on the road to go see the extended family. And he decides he's going to take a book out into the garden and do some reading. Oh, that sounds lovely. So this is around 1130 in the morning. He's out in the back reading his book. And apparently, a sudden wind rattled all the windows and slammed the back door of the house. He decides to come inside, and Grandma Scholes, or I'm just going to call Grandma here, you'll hear me referring to him as Sarah Scholes uh, as we move forward. She asks if a storm is coming up or if, there's, if it's getting windy outside, and Phillips says, no, it's, it's totally calm. So this is the first sign that something's going wrong, mm-hmm. this weird wind that affected the house but was not outside the house. Right. So Philip comes in, and I guess his grandmother wanted some tea, and he goes into the kitchen to make her some tea. So he's in there making the tea, and she's knitting in the living room. Mm-hmm. He turns around to bring the tea to her, and he comes back through, and he looks up, and he's in the doorway to the room that she's in, I guess the living room. I think they called it the lounge, really. Yeah, that's right. Um, right. And he looks at her, and he just freezes dead in his tracks. There's a strange white powder raining down from the ceiling onto her. It's everywhere in the air. It's almost like smoke, but it's not smoke. It's a powder. Yeah, it's it's like chalk dust. Well, first he thought that there was some construction done on the ceiling. The, the ceiling had recently been re-wallpapered. Uh, because they had paper, or repapered, it says, in, mm-hmm. in Wilson's book. So I guess they had paper, you know, in, in the olden days, you, yeah. would, you would put paper everywhere, right. uh, walls and ceilings. So he was thinking maybe it had something to do with that. And you know what? That's a logical conclusion. They've just done some fixing up, so maybe yeah. that's up there. Not that know. Grandma was slapping erasers together. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess she looked up, and she said, Philip, what did you do? She's, you know, the, the natural grandma thing. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> he, did, he must have done something. Yeah. And, and then she stands up. And at that point, they both realize something. As she stands, her head comes above the powder that's coming down. Right. So whatever this is, it's not coming from the actual ceiling. It's starting at an artificial lower area. and About it, shoulder length. About shoulder length, a yeah. perfectly flat area. That, so it's like if you're standing in there, you can actually look down where the powder's coming from, like you're in a swimming pool up to your neck. Yeah, imagine imagine that imaginary line, that uh, level there, is where it's emanating from, which must look very strange. So what's that about? Why isn't it coming from the ceiling? Why is it starting halfway down? What does that mean? Well, Have the, we I, seen that before? Yeah, I think the first thing it tells you is that it's not raining down uh, like dust uh, or spackled dust or something from the ceiling or those dreaded uh, popcorn ceilings from the 70s. Is that, and that was the first thought. That's the most logical thing. It's like, yeah. it's like somehow it's it's flaking off, it's coming down now, or there's a cloud, you can see it. It's not that. That's what's standing up in the middle of it uh, is shown to Philip and Grandma, is that it's a weird uh, amorphous dust cloud, a very fine, chalky, white-gray powder. 
And you know where we've seen this before or what it reminded me of. I can't. Yeah, it's, it's in my top of my mind, but that, I couldn't bring it back. That's right. It's the sludge entity. Yes. Because it, that was smoke in that case, though, right? Or well, I like, believe. Yeah. And again, this is just I just thinking about this. I believe John, the father, uh, was in their house and was told to smudge it. You know, as a common practice. Yes. to Kind of a rid the area of, uh, that's of right. bad mojo. It's coming back to me now. Bad yeah. juju. So he's uh, he, he's he's doing that with a, a blend of incenses and and uh, and smudging, probably a sage, white sage. And he notices that there is a, um, you know, that's where the attic is. And there's always been a weird, heavy presence there. The smoke would not rise into that space. Uh, not even if you put the uh, the incense burning uh, close to it. It's like there was a barrier there that kept it like an evil, I think at the time I said it was like a, like a parfait. There's different yes. levels of it, and uh, an evil and, parfait. Yeah, an evil parfait. There's no, <laughs> there's a, a supernatural uh, dessert uh, of, of not the good kind. <laughs> Something's keeping that smoke from rising any further. And there's no drafts. You can go past it, but it just it won't penetrate it. So there's so the first thought you have probably in this situation, yeah. and we talked about this during sludge, if I remember correctly, is is a temperature difference, right? There, yeah, there was an implication yeah. that yeah, the maybe cool was, air or yeah. hot air is you know keeping the uh, the smoke from rising. In, in some instances, sure, but not the way that it appeared to the eye to the family in the sludge entity, and not in this case either. There is a palpable level keeping the chalk dust from rising above shoulder level. So it, it looks strange. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't look like a cloud, which has no uh, limiting factor on the top. It just billows up to where it's going to go or gets blown around by a draft. And that's not the case here. All right. So obviously they, they can't really figure out what's going on. And what's interesting about the Pritchard family and uh, Mrs. Scholes and all this, everybody lives right there. I mean, I don't think she lives right there, but she comes over frequently. So she's obviously right. not far away. But the family is up and down the street. And this is council housing, which we talked a little bit about in the in, in the cold open, right. which, you, which you did so well. The council housing is like government housing. It's it's built to be affordable. Yes. The the houses all look very similar. And this house, in fact, at 30 East Drive, uh, this is important to note, has one common wall with a neighbor. Yes. This, so this house, I think, was uh, built circa 1950s, mid-1950s. Yes. Yeah, something like that. That was very common of the For, look. It, yeah. You watch any movie, British movies, which I love, of the, of the era, you'll see plenty of this. And to this day they're they're around i believe so you just got back from a trip did you get a chance to use your away carry-on luggage (laughs) no it showed up just after i got back and i was pretty bummed about it too because i really wanted to try it out but i did do a nerdy forest thing which is i took my stuff from my old soft bag and i repacked it in my new hard-sided away carry-on and it fit perfectly that's because the away carry-on has a patent pending internal compression system which holds down your travel items making more room and keeping them secure and in place it really is one of the smartest and most well-made pieces of luggage I've actually ever come across. Well, Away is all very smart because they ask thousands of travelers about how they pack and what bugged them the most about their old luggage. Then they set about solving those problems using premium materials like German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, but still very lightweight. And Away carry-ons have a removable battery that can charge any device that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the Away's battery can charge your iPhone five times. They also have four 360-degree spinner wheels so you can easily glide your luggage upright, and it doesn't tip over when you're navigating those crowded airports. And Away totally backs up their products. They're so confident you'll love it. You'll get a 100-day trial to test it out. 
Travel with it, live out of it. And if at any point during that time you decide it ain't for you, you can return it for a full refund, no questions asked. And if you do keep it, you're covered with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they'll fix or replace it for you for life. The cases come in a variety of colors and four sizes to choose from. The carry-on sizes are compliant with all major U.S. airlines, so load it up. There's also free shipping on any away order within the lower 48 states. So here's how you can get a great deal on great away luggage right away. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash astonishing and use promo code astonishing during checkout. You're really going to want this luggage for that upcoming trip. So get your $20 off by going to awaytravel.com slash astonishing and use promo code astonishing during checkout. Hi. I'm Kat, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Now, back to the show. So Mrs. Skull's other daughter, Jean's sister, Marie Kelly, lives across the street with her husband, Vic. Yeah. And so she's, she and Philip are like, let's go talk to Marie and see, you know, we got we to gotta figure out what's going you on. You want here. some more opinions on this. Yeah. yeah. So they go across the street, and Marie apparently has described this to uh, Colin Wilson as when she showed up, her mother, she looked like a snowman. Yeah. From all this powder that was yeah, on her. Yeah. So she decides to come over and try to assess the situation. Well, what's going on? You know, so she comes over. Marie comes over to 30 East Drive to the Pritchard House, walks in and almost falls and breaks her neck on this wet floor in the kitchen. That's right. Yeah. So the linoleum has got these puddles on it. Dead. Or if you're British, the lino. The lino. Yeah. Is that, what, so, is that how they say Well, that, I just remember from that squeeze song. Sun, oh, yeah. Sunlight on the lino. <laughs> yeah, which I had to look up at yeah. the time, way yeah. back when. But yeah, short for linoleum. So uh, mysteriously, there's a puddle on the floor, which right. is not, it's just, it's water, but where did it come from? Right. So Marie decides that she's going to try and start cleaning this up. And she's wiping, she's down on the floor, wiping, trying to clean up, and she wrings out the towel or the rag or whatever in the sink, and she turns around, and there's another puddle on the floor, yeah. and they seem to be spontaneously appearing. And and mostly perfectly circular. Yeah. So they're not, they don't have irregular shapes. They're perfect circular puddles of clear water. Like it was coming up through the floor, and that's one of the ideas they had. Oh, maybe, there, maybe there's something leaking beneath the floor. Right. So she keeps trying to clean it up. They keep appearing. It's It's almost comical in a way she eventually gets convinced that there's a, a broken pipe under the floor or something right. she goes over to the corner of the lino yeah the linoleum <laughs> right. and she pulls the corner up and the wood uh the floor underneath is bone dry yeah nothing yeah and it had been dry weather-wise for a good week I that's think, right previously yeah it was not humid there was no explanation for this and she could not figure it out so apparently after that she does help them clean up the powder they're dusting everything trying to remove this powder that's all over the lounge and mm -hmm. she eventually goes back home and she's marie is concerned so she calls the water board to right. come out and see what's going on there's got to be a broken line yeah, that's not torture by the way that's not water no no it's not water it's, it's the, the water the council board. of water it works. Yes, yes. Okay. yes. So she calls some people to come out and waterboard them. No. Um, <laughs> waterboard the ghost, yes. So they, this uh, young gentleman shows up from the waterboard, and they're, he's a little young, but apparently very experienced and yeah. seemed to know what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, sure. So he's going around. He can't find any broken pipes. 
He checks all the drains. He checks all the lines. Oh, and I forgot to mention, actually, that one of the neighbors had come over, too, during the puddle problem, yes. which I think lasted at least an hour, yeah. and turned off the stopcock yeah, under uh, the sink. Right. Whatever the riser is and plumbing there, yes. the water that brings it up to the, the tap, uh, that gets shut off. So it's not that. It's right. Not, nothing's and it leaking. kept happening. Yeah, nothing's leaking that they can tell. Yes. And so the, the, the professional comes out. He can't find anything. He actually remarked about how dry the weather had been. There's no explanation for what's going on, and eventually they just stopped showing up. So they've obviously been through a lot now. They're, they're dealing with these puddles, they're dealing with the powder, they're dealing with all that kind of stuff, and they're wondering what's going to happen next. They don't know how far this is going to go yet. No. But and they will. Exactly, because it, it, it's a new house to them. It's a new home, and not only that, the whole family isn't even home right now. It's just kind of that's like right. some people are away, which that in itself is, that's unsettling. Yeah, you, I mean, they're on you know bank holiday. Yeah. Uh, or part of the family, so it's just uh, the son and grandma. Yeah. And an aunt coming over to see what's what. To see what's going on. Yeah. Who was incredulous at first, I think, but then uh, wasn't quite sure what was going on. So at this point, and this is all the same day, mind you, this is all happening in the same day, things started to ramp up a little bit they Mm -hmm. took a step up so just i want you guys to keep in mind we want you guys to keep in mind that whatever's happening here uh, let's focus on whether or not it has a personality does it have certain desires are there things that it wants and doesn't want and uh, can we piece that together based on the actions it's taking well I, i think as the things go on and you start to understand the nature of them and the types of things that are happening you might start to piece together a personality, let's say, a presence, that it may not just be random weirdness. It might be directed. So you might think things would be done, but they weren't. They're only just getting started. The family has a tea dispenser on a shelf above the sink in the kitchen, and it has a push-button tap on it. And the the button on this particular tap, and I guess what is happening here is it's suspended above... In my mind, based on when I read mm-hmm. Colin Wilson's yes. book, what I'm seeing is because I, I you know, I have uh, family with older houses. I, mm-hmm. uh, I myself used to live in a house from the 50s. What I think is happening here is you have that sink where you have the area for the uh, dish drainer. And then to the left of it, there's like a, a sloping area that's that would pour any dish draining water down into the sink. I think what you're talking about is uh, here in America would be called a ranch sink. A ranch sink. Yeah, or a farm sink. Is well, that, yeah, uh, it's yeah. not. But but that's kind of a tub thing, right? This is uh, no, it's just a, it's like a kitchen sink. Uh, with a, uh, uh, there's a porcelain area where you, you drain the dishes in a rack and kind of a, uh, a wash or a scrub area, but it's still part of the porcelain, uh, yes. deck. And then next to that would be the, you know, regular sink basin. I kind of pictured this as being above the sink or somewhere connected to the basin because something's pushing that button. Yeah. So the, the tea dispenser is up on the top. The tea is pouring out of it and Philip and Grandma are watching the tea come out of this thing, and the button is being pushed up and down. It's pouring down on this work surface on the bottom, and like a drainage board next to the sink. It keeps opening and closing until the tea is completely empty. Everything has poured out into the sink. And apparently, uh, Grandma, uh, Mrs. Sarah Scholes, yells, Stop it! 
<laughs> and uh, Philip immediately answers, I can't. It's doing it on its own. Right. Again, he's immediately assuming that she's being accusatory towards him. And maybe she is. She's like trying to figure this out. What's well, no, going that's, on? That's, it's got to be Philip. It's got to be her grandson yeah. doing that because things don't act like that on their own. And no sooner does she yell this than they hear a loud crash in the hall. They go back and they look into the hallway. And as they're looking, the light that was out turns on. By itself. Mm-hmm. And they look down. At the bottom of the stairs, there was a plant that used to always be there. It sits down at the bottom yeah, of the stairs. Yeah, potted plant. Potted plant. Yeah. They look. It's not there. The plant itself is halfway up the steps, and it's no longer in the pot. The pot is all the way at the top of the steps yeah. on the landing, unbroken. So somehow, this potted plant at the bottom of the stairs, the plant has come out. It's thrown up or somehow placed about halfway up the stairwell and the pot itself is at the top of the stairs Mm -hmm. now my dad used to tell me a story he has a house uh in denver Uh, he lives in denver now in a newer house but when when i was growing up the haunted cheeseman park cheeseman park he uh but when i was growing up he lived closer to washington park or wash park as they said it was a beautiful park is that what haunted too uh i don't think so but it it probably should it should be (laughs) okay very cool park sure um but my dad had a house over there on ogden street and uh i used to love going there when i was it was kind of a I don't know what the style is. Like it's it's craftsman esque, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's properly craftsman because mm-hmm. there's not the wood sticking out and all that kind of stuff. But the point is that uh, he told me when I was younger that that when he first got the house, he would come home and he had a recliner and it had a potted plant in it. This was the '70s in Denver. I'm just telling you, this is like the uh, hippie center of the universe. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He had a potted plant that hung in one of those uh, woven... Yes, everyone did. Yeah, everyone macrame. had these macrame. Macrame. Yeah, wo- he had a fern in it. Yeah. yeah. It was hanging over um, a chair or something. And he would come home sometimes, and the plant would be out of the hanger on oh, the floor no. uh, in another part of the living room, in the pot still, and the hanger would still be hanging up, and there would be no spilled soil. That's interesting. Uh, now, I... Not fully convinced he was telling me the truth. He does listen to this show sometimes, so I guess he'll get back <laughs> well, to me on that. Well, no, this is years before, of course, this show, many, many years. But what he was suggesting is that there was some kind of spirit doing this. Yeah, well, it's an interesting idea, this thing with the potted plants. And, like, the, the, this uh, this plant is, like, halfway up the stairs, and it's out of its jar, you know. Um, it's it, And then the—out of its jar, out of its pot, and then right. the pot's at the top. So, anyway, so let's keep going here. Well, this, here's—but you— I want to touch on this quickly. Yeah. Uh, You bring up an important point here because uh, keep your ear out, folks, for this kind of activity because there are, when you think about it, I know it all sounds kind of crazy, but there's different types of movement. There are different types of activity and what kind of, if you're going to go along with the belief of this, what kind of energy it would take to do this. And so there are things that are moved, things that are hidden. You know, some things are kind of simple. Some actions seem kind of complex that's all i'm saying so so start to register as we describe these what types of actions so actually uprooting a plant you know with the dirt and everything and that's somewhere else and now the actual pot is up the stairs that's interesting that takes a lot more uh activity energy right you want to say now and here by the way this next part that's happening this is when we're first going to get a hint at something and I know this has come up on our show so many times, you might almost be getting bored with this idea and this word, but it's like we said at the top of the show, 
people who explore these kinds of things and study these types of things over the years seem to all come around to a particular point of view. And so what I'm going to say here is I want you to start paying attention to the idea, and you've heard it before, and a lot of our listeners are already going to say it before I even say it, but we may have a trickster on our hands. Oh, of course. Yes. And <laughs> right. so we're going to we're going to just wrap our heads around that and wrap our heads around the personality of this trickster, because no sooner have Philip and Grandma Skulls gone in to see this plant on the stairs when they hear a loud crashing sound in the kitchen yep. behind them. So what's happening is this thing happens over here, then something happens that takes you back into the room you just left. It's literally giving you the runaround. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, a, in a joking way. If this thing was omniscient and could see you, it would have a laugh because it's now seeing a Benny Hill sketch. Right. Yeah. So if you're running around, if you, if you were a lot of our audience <laughs> is going to have no idea. Who I know it's an older yeah. show. Yeah. I loved it as a kid because we would get uh, Thames uh, d- television and, and I just I would beg my parents to watch it on PBS. Yeah. The, the point is that if you sped up the footage watching these people, if they were on a camera... It was a Keystone They're, Cops thing. The, it goes exactly. Back to the, you know, They'd be running around like, what's happening here? Oh my gosh, there's something happening over here. Oh wait, there's something happening over here. Yeah. The point is, is that something seems to be having a laugh with these folks. And that's the theme that kind of continues and, and gets more severe and, and in some cases darker. It's not so funny. We'll come around to that. Yeah. I, I'm going to say something, but I'm going to hold my tongue. Yes. So Good. they hear a loud crash in the kitchen. They go back into the kitchen. They look... And this kitchen cabinet is vibrating, shaking violently. All the dishes in it, all the cups in it, just rattling, vibrating. And Philip walks right over to it, braver than I am, grabs it and opens it, and the vibration stops. Yeah. No sooner has he done that than there's a huge, loud crash upstairs. Mrs. Skulls had heard this crashing. This is important, and I think this is interesting. Yeah. It was a sound that she had heard before. But it was before all the weirdness happened. That's right. So in her mind, the other day she heard it, and she wrote it off. And yes. that's an interesting... To me, that's a very fascinating thing. Well, it could be mimicry, it, maybe. It, it could be mimicry, but also it comes back to that whole thing for me about uh, people not really paying attention to what's going on around them. Uh, because something happens, and, I, and I'm not disparaging Mrs. Scholes, but mm-hmm. like what I'm saying is like... Something happens and you look or whatever, and it's like we always come back to the curse of the man who sees UFOs when he goes up to the people on the beach and <laughs> he sees the thing out on the wall and Christo. they're just sitting on the wall. Yeah, yeah Christos and they're they're kissing and canoodling or whatever. It looks like a first or second yeah, date. Yeah, they look you know, over yeah. at it and they're like, yeah, that's weird. And then they yeah. just go back. Let's go get a frozen banana. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, there's too many people in that frame of mind that are not taking a second look at what they're dealing with, in my opinion. So. Yeah. Anyway, she heard the strange crashing sound earlier. Now it's happening again, and she's coming back around. So they're trying to figure out what that is. It's upstairs, and right after that sound, the temperature drops. Mm. Classic. Telltale sign. Yeah, telltale sign. The temperature drops. What is this? What is this telling me? When the air temperature drops, what is happening or is about to happen? You want to hear a theory I just came up with? I'm not even going to say right it for the now? theories. Yeah, be- before Do I forget it. it. Before I forget it. Yeah. It's uh, somehow, uh, whatever, uh, again, folks, just play along with us. Go with us to this uh, to, to crazy town here and suppose all of the instances we're hearing about are exactly the way they happened and described faithfully and truthfully. And all these uh, instances of 
people feeling the temperature getting really cold. And I, I just recently, some friends of mine were on a ghost hunt and felt a real chill, yeah. palpable. Uh, like, this is not just I'm under a draft or the air conditioner kicked on. This is like a bone chilling down to your core, sinew kind of uh, kind of cold. Yes. Uh, it's a different kind of a thing. Uh, I'm thinking that now is that uh, whatever this is, is if, if you go with the incursion from the other side, beyond the veil, it's bringing the temperature of the void with it. Because what is the temperature of outer space? The void. And the yeah. universe. It's pretty cold. It's pretty, very cold out there. Yeah. Uh, we only experience warmth here because we need it to survive. But whatever is, uh, if there is an incursion of some kind of a, a spirituality, it's cold over there. Yeah. And they're bringing it with them. So anyway, that's a little uh, theory of mine. But th- no, again, you hear so many, you know, the sixth sense. You know, you, you see that in there. Suddenly uh, the, the, the doorknob frosts over. Uh, a chill comes over. But that's such a common thing. And so here now we start to have some very classic uh, haunting telltale signs. Yes. Which don't always line up with standard poltergeist activity. Uh, So you're seeing a crossover of some of these kind of uh, telltale signs, if you will, blending. So it's kind of hard to decipher what's really going on here within these paranormal categories. So after the crash upstairs, they've had it again. Philip and his grandmother are like, all right, let's go get Marie. Yes. So they go back out. They go across the street. They go to get Marie. They, uh, Marie Kelly, who is Sarah Skull's daughter. The other daughter. Jean Pritchard's sister. And that would be Philip's aunt. Aunt, yes. So they go to get her. They bring her back over to 30 East Drive, Pontefract, Checkerfield Estates. Yes. So they come back over coming to the house and marie has told this story i guess to colin wilson and she said as soon as she came in she saw the kitchen cabinets vibrating and they were some of them were open and she could even see the cups and plates inside the cabinets vibrating yeah the next question for her is there's there's a common wall Mm -hmm. is the wall connected but it isn't this wall that the cabinets are on just so everyone has a clear understanding has a garden behind it it is not connected to the house Around the way. Right. As our British listeners and UK listeners will know, some of these council houses have shared walls sometimes, often maybe, but uh, not in this case, yes, but it's not near the wall that is shared. Exactly. And don't they go over to the neighbors? Yeah. So they go over to the neighbor, they knock on the door, they go in, they say to the neighbor, what are you doing anything yeah, you crazier know, yeah. like are accusing you, you but right. what's going are you aerobicizing <laughs> you know that <laughs> yeah, kind of stuff yeah. I, I, I was probably a little early for that i'm back just in the, slightly though yeah slightly early uh and and the neighbor says no we thought it was you we thought it was you what yeah. are you doing <laughs> yeah. over there yeah what, what what are you are you drilling something are you hammering repeatedly yeah. do you have a, a tiny jackhammer going because their stuff is rattling yes and, and to quote paul simon one man's ceiling is another man's floor well there you go <laughs> <laughs> well, this but in be, this case, it's this a wall. walls. Yeah, but either way, it doesn't matter because neither one of them is doing anything. No, and here's here's the thing: if you're thinking that yes, it's getting some vibration from the street, there's a bus, there's a train, subway, the the tube, whatever is happening, it's isolated within this cabinet. Yeah, but stuff on the others in the other uh, council house next door is also experiencing some isolated vibration or disturbance. And other incidents, which we're going to talk about more in a second. But here's the thing that fascinates me about this. In all these stories, when there's a wide series of events happening, uh, it seems like the people that are involved in the story always go to see if they can find a solution to one aspect of it. And so it's like, great. If you go next door and the woman next door says, oh, yeah, I uh, I decided to take a wall out. 
or I was, I'm building a new wall. I'm hammering up, I'm hanging a 75 pound mirror. I had to put a bunch of nails in the wall, whatever. That is still not going to explain how a pot got halfway up the steps. Unbroken. Like, yeah. You're yeah. solving one thing. Like you're just struggling to yeah. try to wrap your head around whatever's happening. And, right. but it didn't matter because in this case, they, there was nothing going on next door at, that could explain what was happening on either side of the common wall. Yes. Philip and his grandmother have had enough. They're not going to spend the night there. They go over to Marie's house across the street. They're like, we're crashing here. Marie says, fine. It's good. We got plenty of room. Go upstairs. You don't need to be over there. I've seen it all. I saw the white powder. I saw the crazy water. I saw the cups vibrating in the cabinet. I don't blame you for not staying over there. You know, we don't understand what's happening. So they go to sleep upstairs and Marie's husband, Vic, comes home. Vic Kelly. Vic is was incredulous at first, but then he was like, you know, what what if something's going on? What if somebody's in there? What if the house well, you know, that's, someone's uh, broken in? Again, uh, and I don't blame them at all. I would do the same thing. I would do that now if I discovered this. It's like, okay, what's the most logical, rational explanation? There's somebody squatting in the house somewhere yeah. or, or messing with us. Yeah, the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> it's or well, it's a dude. It's, it's yeah. what's that other story? It's yeah. like no, this this you know. Have you ever heard that story about the lady? There's a there was a dude living in her attic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, <laughs> these things are these things do happen sometimes. There's a you know, or it's somebody playing a joke, or again, it's maybe one of the kids. Yeah. You know, somebody's playing a prank on grandma. It's just, there's, you look for that first, because logically speaking, that should be eliminated first. Yeah. So, and that's how you yeah, do an you investigation. Yeah, you gotta check that let's, out. Let's go through these things and eliminate the obvious and then continue on. So Vic says, let's get the cops. He calls the cops. A detective comes out, two uniformed officers. Vic goes in there and Marie goes in there. So five people go into the house. And uh, I guess this was at a time when it made sense uh, when you're doing a, a sweep of a house to take civilians with you. <laughs> no, I know. It's come on. I'm being, I'm being yeah, yeah. I'm joking. No, it's they, the they know the house and yeah, they can yeah. open up stuff for you. Yeah, but, so let's uh, go in there. Let's yeah. see what's going on. But I would, I would, I'd be more safe with some constables with us. Yeah. At, at, you know, and, and going through the house, making sure all areas are secure. There's no one in there goofing around. Right. So they go in there, they examine the whole house. The cops are looking upstairs, downstairs, everywhere. They find nothing. Not yeah. only that, nothing is going on. Now, at this point, Philip and his grandmother are asleep back at Marie and Vic's house. After 9.30 p.m. Yeah, after 9.30 p.m. It's getting late. Cops, they call the cops. Cops find nothing. So there's nothing left to do but go back home. So Marie and Vic go back home, but you know what? They can't sleep. Vic believes Marie, apparently, from what we understand. Yeah. And uh, they're sitting down. I I envision this. Somebody's been married, you know, almost a quarter century. I'm closing in on a quarter century. (laughs) I can see them sitting by the table at night. Uh, just in the, you know, downstairs, Vic's nephew and his mother-in-law are asleep upstairs in the guest room or whatever it has to be. In fact, I remember reading that they had to change because they didn't have huge houses. They had to change all the sleeping arrangements just for them to sleep over. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But let me ask you this. In, in, uh, if... If your wife told you something crazy was going on or or like your brother-in-law, like, come over, you got to see this, this is really weird. I think the dynamics of belief and what each person's disposition was would, you know, would determine what, how much they're going to believe about this. Well, yeah, I mean... Like, well, we- well, my question is, it's like, what if, uh, what if your wife said, like, they described exactly what this was going on yeah. at the house? Yeah. 
because of you doing what you do, yeah, you're having a different. Uh, it's like okay, um, there are some people who I can call, or possibly, but let me go check this out. You'd be very analytical about it, but us doing versa. what we do, no, but what, what was hey, we've made a few contacts. <laughs> what would what would your wife say if you were describing this? Other than like, okay, uh, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not coming home. So you fix all that. You know, all this all this weird activity, the spirit activity. And then I might come home. Would she believe you or would she? No, uh, she would believe she, you know, she has a more open mind than I did when we started the show. That is true. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. She's more believing that. And and if my brother-in-law said something, uh, it would be a jump how high situation because he has a doctorate in theology from St. Andrews (laughs) in Scotland. That's right. (laughs) And, 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 and uh, my wife's sister uh, is also a uh, Methodist minister. They are both uh, very uh, educated in religion and faith and spirituality. Very well put. And I I look up to them a great deal. Would they believe you if you had told them, again, if you lived on the same street, it's like, uh, I know Tim. they would believe me because okay. I have spoken to them about experiences that okay. we recently had that are leading up to our October shows. Oh, that's right. And I know they believe me. Okay. I'm just, well, that, again, it's a different scenario. These are, these are just hardworking regular folks. And it's like, uh, I don't know what to make of that. We'll no. go over and check it out. Well, that's, it. that's what I'm saying. I can, I can picture them downstairs. It's Vic and Marie. I love Vic and Marie. I want to hang out with them. I know. It was decades ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm not there. But like, I would love to have been at that table with them. I can just see a dim light, kind of like you and I have here in Blanket 40 as we record this it's late at night families asleep upstairs all this weird stuff has happened across the street i mean this is my dream scenario it's like what is going on how can we figure this out so apparently vic is talking to marie and he's like wait don't you have that friend i believe his name is um o'donnell he lives uh, yes he's and he knows he's very he's he's a ghost ghost. enthusiast he's a ghost guy turns out he lives right up the street because everybody lives right up the street it's a village yeah Yeah. so they're they're like you know it's it's late it's it's midnight whatever why don't we just we can just walk up there and see if he's awake so they go out of the house they go up the street they walk by o'donnell's house can't remember his first name and they walk by his house and uh is it george uh i'm just gonna call him mr o'donnell very good because i can't remember his first name it's it's in it's in colin wilson's book then they walk by his house they go uh and the lights on downstairs so they go up to the door they knock on the door he comes to the door and they say um so this weird thing happened uh at uh at gene gene and joe's house yeah yeah can you maybe you can they said he immediately went and got his coat oh of course yeah no no it, it's uh <laughs> if anyone asked me i'm not even uh i i yeah. i love all kinds of of course weird stuff and paranormal stuff it's like yeah i'm getting my coat and and i'm grabbing a camera see now back then you're probably wondering why maybe there isn't better documentation but the mid to late 60s People had regular eight movie cameras, and then I think even later Super Eight came. I'm not sure what year that was, but I've transferred a lot of regular eight film, and that's about all you had. If you're a real enthusiast, you might have had 16 millimeter. There's other cases where you do see more photo documentation. There isn't really a whole lot here, is yeah. there? Yeah, no. No. Yeah, we don't have much to work with. now, but we'll get to that later. Okay, okay, yeah. So I wanted to mention that when people are thinking, well, let's see some photos. Come on, let's see some video. Well, people didn't have video. Yeah. Uh, the video was around. Nobody late 60s, had it. early 70s. Nobody had it. It wasn't small enough to uh, have Really in your just home. late 60s, honestly. It was yeah. 66 and 68, the right. bulk of this So, so yeah. just so, yeah, the younger folks, that you didn't have all that stuff. So people, they just recorded it with their brains, which was burned into their memories, and they'll never forget this. Yeah. But, you know, the, the times are a little off when they go to be interviewed. 
this is what Colin Wilson found out and other researchers when they go to interview these people. It's like they might say, I, I thought there was an interesting note here as, as part of this aside. They might say, well, no, that happened on Tuesday. Remember, because so-and-so came over and then, you know, we had sandwiches and then this happened. And like, oh, you're right. So the times might be off a little bit, but the actual events, the actions themselves lined up. And that's what convinced Colin Wilson. It's like, well, man, if, if this is all one big hoax, one big story, They've done a remarkable job all memorizing the events down to the smallest details, although they may not have the exact time right. And people people aren't capable of this. It's like conspiracies, and that's what I say about conspiracies, and and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to our show that are into conspiracies, and I am too, and some of them are true. Conspiracies happen. We have proof of that. But the rule generally is the more people that are involved in trying to keep a secret, the less likely it is to be kept. Somebody's going to spill the beans. Yeah. yeah. You can only get to a certain number of people before the the truth comes out. People, humanity is just not capable of coordinating it on a large scale like that, unless you have a highly intelligent, super organized organization like the Illuminati. What? Well, I don't or, know what you're talking about. What? Or Area 51. It's just people yeah, who... Yeah, but that's... Know, like people, well, unless you're Bob Lazar, and then you kind of spill some beans, but... But that's a highly people, organized... That's a military... That's what I'm saying, yes. Deve- anyway. Exactly. We, so, yeah, but here, and bringing this back around again, uh, what I loved about this scene is going to go get the opinion and the advice of Mr... Uh, yeah, let's go O'Donnell. talk to our crazy neighbor. Yeah, well, he's not crazy. He's the one guy who... No, but that's that's where you go. It's like, yeah. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I, I don't believe whatever. This is crazy. And then you go over and you see it all, and it's like, where's Fritz? What's, where's what's his buddy? He believes in this stuff. You know, that is the next thing that now, happens. Well, that's the Spielberg yes. moment. Yes, because you know? you know why? It's it's the one guy. It, it's like, yeah, this all seems crazy, but you can't deny what's happening to you. So maybe the crazy guy has got some sense on this. Exactly. It, it, and this is what I love about this scene, even though this is... You know, not a movie, it's not a TV show. Uh, this happened in real life. So we're reading accounts of the time as taken by Colin Wilson in interviews. Well, what I loved about this is that it reminded me this scene right here where they go get the guy and he comes in immediately at late at night and gets his coat. Yeah. Uh, of one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes written by Richard Matheson. Oh, yeah. Believe, who we have some kind of connection to. Entity, the entity. Uh, and... <laughs> We it, were going to do the entity last Halloween, and we decided it was so dark. It was so dark, we strayed away from it. It's on the it's on the docket somewhere. We got to work on it. We got to yeah, figure out how to. It's do not it. a show for the kids. You know, we got to figure out how to, how we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, the point being is that uh, what I loved about it is that uh, this little girl goes missing in her own bedroom. They can hear her. She sounds far away. They just can't find her. So I love the fact that uh, the guy gets on the phone and he's like, he calls his friend, his neighbor. You got to come over here right now. And I know I know it's late, but please come over right away. And who does he call? He calls a physicist because again, that's, that's somebody... the guy you want. You want the <laughs> yeah. physicist with the open mind. That's exactly yeah. my yeah. point. Is that uh, you didn't call the cops because they can hear, her, they can't see her. Well, you I need mentioned to accept this the fact that, like, if you don't know what's going on, it's not necessarily magic and crazy. Yeah. It's just beyond the realm of your comprehension. So you need to get the smartest mind in the room you can manage. Well, here, here's and then here's my point about uh, how it relates to this, because it's not totally out from left field here. Uh, and it's not completely a tangent. Imagine your own loved one, your own child. What kind of madness that would instill? You can hear them. You can't find them anywhere in the room, in their own bedroom. They disappeared. How maddening... What story is this where the kid disappeared? The episode is called Little Girl Oh, that's the Twilight Zone, right, right. Oh, Little Girl Lots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Yes, yes. And, uh, but just imagine as a parent what kind of, uh, again, just torture that would be. I don't have to. I can imagine Well, no, but you you just imagine your own... It's like you can hear him and he sounds far away. 
but you cannot find him. It's like, what, what are the, what oh, are the, what's the fire, what's the, the fire department going to do? Exactly. Carol Ann. She went in the TV. It's yeah. Carol Ann. So, mm-hmm. uh, and here's my point is that I know that sounds crazy and magical. Like they, people just don't disappear and you can still hear them. And there's a disembodied voice when they bring over the neighbor, who's the physicist, he explains to them, this might be an opening to another dimension. And what he does is he moves the bed out of the way. They, they carefully mark the bed. He takes a chalk outline and he finds where his hand goes through the wall. And we've talked about this many times before. And I know it sounds like crazy, you know, magic and, uh, and just nonsense, but theoretically. And then the Duffer Brothers made it into a series. <laughs> it's a, it's, somebody's <laughs> going to capitalize that. But it's, it's not uh, in the world of science. It's theoretical. A lot of people in science don't believe it could happen but a lot do yeah uh, a lot people a lot smarter than me can can use the math and think of and create models for 11 or 12 dimensions and so that's possible and i you know again it's making that leap that maybe the stuff that's going on at this house yeah it's it's the weirdest stuff ever there's no explanation for it but maybe there is You know how we always joke that all roads lead back to Scotland? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Well, really, all roads lead back to Mesopotamia. Ah, you must be talking about our new series over at The Great Courses Plus, Ancient Mesopotamia, Life in the Cradle of Civilization. Indeed I am. You know what? It's true, though. Just from what we've learned with The Great Courses Plus and our own research, ancient Mesopotamia was home to a lot of firsts. The first cities, the earliest writing, the first written laws, and the first diplomatic relationships with other kingdoms. But really, it was a lot more than that. And here's another one of those freaky facts. The Mesopotamian civilization lasted for more than 3,000 years, so it lasted longer in its day than the amount of time from its ending to the present. Day. That's insane to me. <laughs> and its history was forgotten about for thousands of years, unlike the Greek, Roman, and even the Israelites of the Bible, who've been studied continuously since their heydays. The study of Mesopotamian civilization didn't start up until the deciphering of their writing about 170 years ago, along with a lot of archaeological excavations since then. Yeah, it's also kind of mind blowing to think that with those excavations, more than a quarter million clay tablets have been found, many of them with their writing still unpublished, and so many of them haven't even been read yet. When historians translate unread clay tablets, knowledge of previously unknown whole kingdoms can come to light that have been forgotten about for thousands of years. All right, one last fun fact. You know the professor that teaches this course, Dr. Amanda H. Podani? Yeah. Well, when she was an undergrad at UCLA, she played bass in a rock band called The Colors. While she went on to study ancient Near East history, two years later, the band changed their name to The Bangles. What? (laughs) No way. Uh Really? That's good. That's crazy. I used to have such a mad crush on uh, Susanna Hoffs. Yeah, I thought you'd like that fact. <laughs> well, I guess you weren't kidding when you said these lecturers at the Great Courses Plus are rock stars. Nope. Well, well, you know, sort of. <laughs> uh, well, but now our listeners can see just how cool and captivating these experts are over there with this special limited time offer, a full month of unlimited access for free. But you must sign up now through our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Yeah, don't wait to learn about all kinds of new and fascinating stuff. Sign up right now to get a full free month of unlimited access. So remember, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Hi, I'm Rosanna Ridgway, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Now back to the show. Let's get back to Mr. O'Donnell. They come back to the house, by the way. They come into the house. 
there's not a whole lot going on anymore. Now, it's getting super late. Probably, I'm guessing, I'm not sure, but uh, Vic and Marie are like, did this even happen? I don't know. I'm tired. You know how it is. You used to like, it's a long, crazy day. And Vic was at work, I believe, because earlier it was just Marie coming over with the white powder and the puddles and the water or whatever. Now Vixen, he got home probably from work and, you know, Wilson didn't indicate whether or not he'd been at work, but I think he was gone. So then he comes home. They're they're over there and they're like, they call the cops. Nothing's there. They get around to this point. They bring their friend, their ghost-believing friend down. They're sitting in the house at 30 East Drive. Nothing's going on. And O'Donnell proceeds to explain to them the difference between ghosts and poltergeists. Right. Because what he thinks he's hearing described is a poltergeist. And he's smart enough to know, I guess, that poltergeists are generally attached or somehow involved with uh, young children, teenage children. And the the bottom line is, and Forrest, you have to tell me this. I'm I'm speaking off the cuff here. I yeah. don't have research on this, but they're generally a, attached to younger girls that is over one, boys. Well, right? uh, that is one theory. If people are taking the cases and trying to tr- draw some uh, parallels here and collect data and make connections, but then again, I heard that maybe that's not what the data is pointing to. But that is one theory: is that generally it's younger people, tweens. Puberty has a lot to do with it biochemical energy and reactions you know the, the human body produces energy yeah. like electrical energy yeah. you watch the matrix you know that uh but there's something there and that can be affected in the nearby environment and it's not so much a ghost or spirit it's a effusing i guess or an outpouring an expression of a lot of this energy but mr o'donald is going to try and suss out what's going on here by what's actually being described as happening. Well, and what's interesting about him visiting the house is he sits down with them. They're sitting in there at the table inside the, at 30 East Drive. They're trying to figure out or explain to him what has happened. He's probably more of a believer than maybe they are themselves. And at that point, like I said, he's explaining the difference between a poltergeist and a ghost. Right. And based on the events that he's heard, he's saying this sounds more like a poltergeist. Right. And he goes, but, you know, poltergeists, they do funny things. They they cut pictures up, that kind of stuff. He says that, and then they get up, and they're leaving the house. It's 1.45 in the morning. They're locking the door. That's the last thing he said. And at that very moment, as they're locking the door, they heard this loud crash inside the house. Mm-hmm. So, of course, all three of them, they look at each other. They go back in. They turn the lights on, and there's three pictures on the floor. Two of these pictures are oil paintings. Yeah, small, small, right. small oil paintings. Mm-hmm. Then one of them is a wedding photo of Joe and Jean Pritchard, and it's slashed multiple times as though it was cut with a sharp knife. Yeah, from end to end. So what has happened now, and and again, what we were talking about a few minutes ago, when you want to pay attention to the idea, the personality of this thing, whatever it is, is that he made a suggestion, and then that happened. So yeah. keep... For those of you taking notes, which I know nobody takes notes, <laughs> no one takes notes yeah. on our show, but if you were, you're going to write that down. He said that the pictures get slashed by poltergeists, and then the picture got slashed. All right, so all this took place on a Thursday night in 1966, not too long after the Pritchard family moved into the house. Mm-hmm. Everything that's happened so far has primarily happened to Philip and his grandmother, Mrs. Sarah Scholes. They gave up on everything that was going on. They eventually went across the street to Sarah's other daughter's house, Marie Kelly, uh, Marie and Vic Kelly. Mm -hmm. They crash over there. Marie and Vic 
decide they're going to try to get to the bottom of things. Vic calls the cops. They come over. They don't find anything. Right. So now they they can't sleep. They can't figure out what's going on. Then they go and talk to a neighbor who's a friend who believes in ghosts. They bring him down there. Nothing happens while he's in there. But as he's leaving, he points out that poltergeists specifically cut pictures and they're locking up the door at one forty-five in the morning at the end of this long day of strange activity. And that's when the pictures fly off the wall and they go in and the one wedding photo has been sliced and diced by a sharp knife. Right. So the family all gets back together on Saturday. The The other members return. That's going to be Joe, Jean, and Diane, mm-hmm. the 12-year-old Diane, are coming back uh, to the house. And you can imagine this scene where they're trying to explain everything that happened. You know, Philip and Sarah <laughs> and Marie yeah. and Vic are trying to explain. And Vic didn't even see anything. If you think about it, he didn't see anything other than the slashed picture at the end. So Vic didn't see anything other than the slashed picture at the end of the night. The well, aftermath he's seen. Yeah. And, he's, and he sees how scared and and, and How upset his wife yeah, Marie is. Right, right. And, you know, the fact that uh, Grandma and Philip had to come over and spend the night. He yeah, sees they're that. freaked out. So now Joe has come back and Jean, the parents of Philip and Sarah, have come back. And, and uh, Diane has come back, the other child. And they're trying to explain everything that's happened there in the house. They're saying, no, this is what was going on. And there was knocking. And at that point, Joe Pritchard says, what kind of knocks? And no sooner does he say that. After that, a window rattled and a cold wind blew through the inside of the house. Mm -hmm. That was the end of anything happening for two years. Forrest, I want to ask you a question. Mm. When you live in a haunted house or you are maybe an owner of a business that is haunted, what is the one thing you never want to do? Remodel. That's right. <laughs> or Well, it's among many things, but yeah, that will possibly kick up some activity. Yeah. The minute you start changing things around in a house that something else thinks it owns right. or doesn't want changed... You're going to have problems. And, you know, I've always had <laughs> yeah. an issue with this because I've never really understood this. Because I've, on, I've honestly thought, one thing I read a long time ago was that when it comes to hauntings and presences in houses or buildings, that it's not the actual house or building that's haunted. It's the ground. It's the location. And it doesn't. That is one theory, sure. Yeah, it doesn't. And that's a good point. And that's what you should say to me. That is one theory. Yeah. Because I read it and I was like, no, that's what it is. And I don't have any reason to believe that over any other thing. It doesn't necessarily take precedent. Um, but, you know, when I think about the powder, the white powder, right. or whatever the powder was... Sometimes people claim objects are haunted, and you can yeah. bring the object into your home, and that brings the, the bad juju into your into your space, or it could be the space itself, or it could be the house, or it could be something coming out of the ground. Or lot, now we're getting into uh, the ideas of water, being around. And uh, as we go into our investigations, you could say, uh, recently that have happened to us, that water, you know, seems to play a part with limestone in areas that uh, where the uh, the terra there has a lot of uh, high water content. Uh, trees growing there that require a lot of water. And so that's another big theme that, again, water being the medium or the conveyance of some kind of activity or spirit energy, if you will. But in this case, yeah, it could be coming out of the ground. It could be the house. And again, as we mentioned at the top of the show, 
a lot of dark history with a lot of bloodshed, like a lot of places in Europe. Uh, but but right here specifically, yes. Well, and so what happens here is that Jean, the Jean Pritchard, the mom, decides that she's going to remodel Diane, the little girl's room. Now, at this point, Diane is 14 years old. She was 12 when they moved in. Right. There were the weird events, but I'm going to just remind everybody that the only people that experienced the weird events initially were Philip and his grandmother. Everyone else just heard about it. Now, yeah, I mean, who knows that's, if that's, they believed it? That is one crazy night. I'll yeah, tell you. it's a yeah. crazy night, but then nothing else happens, which I would think the longer things go by with nothing happening, yeah. you think, ah, oh, well, I mean, it's my family. I know I love them, but they must have been mistaken. Right. Uh, you know, spontaneous pools of water, whatever. Nothing is happening here. So 1968, Jean decides that she's going to redo Diane's room, which is upstairs. No sooner has she started even thinking about this than the bedspread from Diane's room gets thrown all the way down the stairs to the bottom of the stairs. She goes back up and she picks it up. She takes it back up. She puts it on the bed. She comes back downstairs and then the bedspread from the other bedroom upstairs is thrown down the stairs. No one is upstairs, mind you. So then they hear these noises. They go upstairs and all of these plants that are upstairs are completely upended and soil is spilled everywhere. It hates these plants! Oh! That's the jerk. <laughs> yes, the jerk. Yeah, That's nice. <laughs> very, very good, yes. Now, so, so what happens is this stuff is happening, and then Philip apparently said, are you ready for this? Mm. It's happening again. It is happening again. Who is that remind everybody of? Our friend Carl. Carl Stryken, who yes. we had on during our Giants episode, and uh, we took a picture with. It's one of my favorite oh, pictures that, it, it puts since me, we started uh, the show. One of, yes, what, a, a cherished line from the original series of Twin Peaks. Yes. Where uh, later we learned he is the fireman in the new season, but uh, or the newer season. But yes. Yeah, no, that's what he was uttering, and he said it twice, so he appears on the stage and uh, he just he, he materializes and then evaporates after saying, it is happening again. Well, one has to wonder if David Lynch might have I read wonder. Colin Wilson's book, honestly. I, I wouldn't put it past him. I don't doubt that at all. Uh, but it's, a, it's an ominous statement because, again, imagine how that made you feel. And now you had some peace for two years. Yeah. And it's starting up again. Right. So that night, this is presumably the first thing that happens to Jean, the mom. That night, after she's decided to start doing some work and presumably been doing some preliminary work on redoing Diane's room, she felt a cold chill and then something flew past her face very quickly, missing her by apparently what she described as about an inch. She later figured out that that was a paintbrush. Right after that, a bucket of wallpaper paste slammed into the wall and the paste was scattered everywhere okay now that tears it because that's imagine that horrible mess of just sticky wallpaper glue everywhere that now you gotta clean up yeah if you've ever put up wallpaper and used wallpaper paste (laughs) that's that's a nightmare and here's the thing about gene and that's a very important point for us that you're making right there she does not abide a mess she does not like a messy house no and i want you got and we want you guys to keep that in mind, again, when you're thinking about the personality of this haunting, or whatever it is. Yes. And the kinds of things it's doing, and the kinds of things it's doing specifically to Gene as this story moves forward. So the wallpaper paste goes everywhere, and then she sees something moving in the darkness, and she looks over, and she described it apparently to Colin Wilson as almost, uh, it, it looked like a snake getting ready to strike, moving back and forth very slowly. 
And as she focused her eyes on it, she realized it was just a strip of wallpaper. And somehow it was being manipulated to look like a snake. And she grabbed it. And she said that the minute that she grabbed it, it just turned in back into a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But then a carpet sweeper, which was behind her, I believe, picked up off the floor. Now, it, for those of you who don't know what a carpet sweeper, it's not necessarily a common item anymore unless you work. Oh, you know what? Go, go to a restaurant. In a commercial environment. Yeah. yeah right. no, it, uh, it's got like a thin rod. And at the bottom, it, there's a kind of a heavy box that yeah, uh, somehow, I don't know how it works, but right. it, it sucks well, dirt up it's, off the... Well, it's rollers and a brush. It's rollers not, and a brush. really... Yeah, but it's always like it. heavy and I think, well, you, know, it, you know, the idea it is over promises uh, and under delivers. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, it'll, it'll pick up small stuff, but... Uh, Anybody who's you know worked uh, at a heavy, restaurant, though. it's heavy. That's no, not not really. No, but I'm saying in the context oh, one, of the yes. story. Okay, yeah. yes, no, no. I, as an, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's not like uh, making a piece of paper or wallpaper flap, uh, which uh, could be you know the this, the debunker or a skeptic might say like, well, there's an updraft from the vent and it's making the paper flap uh, like a cobra, except it's stopping when you're uh, grabbing it. And maybe you're blocking the gust of wind that's happening. The energy it takes to lift a carpet sweeper into midair is a lot more. And yeah. so, yes, what Scott's describing is certainly if anybody here has weighted tables, uh, you'll see that being brought out after a particularly messy family with the, with children, especially. It's always the kids. No, it's, I know. They're, they're dropping crumbs and there's all kind of you know, uh, pineapple fried rice all over the floor. And so you don't want to get out the vacuum cleaner. But you don't have time to like pick those up individually, so you get out the carpet sweeper and to pick up the crumbs, and because and it, it doesn't make any noise, it's not really powered. There's rollers on the bottom, but yeah, it's a substantial item, which has now Scott floated up into the air, and it is being swung around like a baseball bat, and it's whooshing around, and it's nearly hitting Gene in the head, apparently, right. or cricket bat, or a cricket bat for those of you in the UK. Yeah, for those of you. So it's in, and so she falls down onto the floor. She's crawling out of the room as this thing is flying around. And at that point, a roll of wallpaper flies across the room and hits the door just as she's trying to get out. The kids wake up from all the noise. Philip and Diane both saw, apparently, and this is what they told Colin Wilson, I presume, because this is in his book, they both saw paintbrushes and other materials for the remodel flying around. So... At one point, there was apparently an object that flew across the room super, super fast, and it hit Diane, the little girl, who's now 14, in the shoulder. And her dad, Joe Pritchard, was like, get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And Diane said, it didn't hurt. Now, this is something, for us when I read about this, I wanted to talk to you about, because I thought this was really interesting. Mm. We haven't talked about this in a while, but this seems to come back to your rules. And this is what I love about, you know, Forrest's rules about the paranormal. <laughs> no, no, just thinking or, of, um, I've noticed, yeah. Uh, frap. Forrest's rules about <laughs> paranormal. Frap. Well, we're, so, it's probably too early to uh, put an acronym. To yeah, it, that's a, yeah. yeah, that's probably not the best acronym either. But my point <laughs> is that this, this brush comes across the room, and it appears to be flying super fast. There's no way it's not going to hurt when it hits her. But she's like, no, it's okay. It didn't hurt. Yeah. So it, that that's really interesting in that it seems to be either what's happening is whatever's manipulating these objects is demonstrating some kind of restraint. Yes. Or it's also manipulating the senses of the people that are experiencing it, and whatever appears to be happening is not actually what's happening. Right. Or a combination of all of the above. Right. So, But the question becomes, why not, if you're flinging all this stuff around and you're this angry and you're flinging the carpet sweeper around, why not go ahead and hurt the little girl? 
Well, if you were uh, an evil jerk, and certainly there's been plenty of them all throughout history, uh, human ones, and continue to be, and as we've seen from the news, unfortunately, they continue to exist and hurt people, is that if you're thinking it's a ghost of some kind or somebody's passed away, uh, and uh, this person was violent and liked to hurt people in life, why wouldn't they do that or try to do that in the afterlife? if you believe in an afterlife. So that's always been my thinking on that. It's like, okay, if this is, uh, if you believe in ghosts and this was a ghost of a past person who uh, was a murderous, violent jerk, <laughs> you, why wouldn't they try and hurt somebody, as, as you were saying? Or if this is a demonic spirit or something of the, of the dark side, uh, a dark elemental, that uh, why wouldn't it just fling a knife at somebody and... Uh, Maybe you weren't allowed to kill them, but at least, like, let me stick this into your backside and see how that feels. And I, you know, and hear you shriek because that's what turns them on. Why wouldn't that happen? And I believe I, when I piqued my curiosity and, and got my interest here was Colin Wilson, I think, said somewhere in this book here that uh, as far as he knew, there has never been a documented case of a poltergeist causing serious bodily injury. Uh, scratches, slaps, Pinches, pokes. That's right. Colin did say that in yeah. his book. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pushing, of course. Uh, so Colin wrote the rules before you did. There's not. <laughs> I'm not making these. Aren't my rules? I'm not making oh, okay. This up. okay. I'm sorry. just saying. No, it's 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 all the years that I've heard stories. Uh, and no, again, it's, this is totally it's all unscientific. The too. The, yeah. These things. This is something I can't reconcile, and and maybe this is a a thing to discuss more in the when we get to theories and all of that in the mm, later part mm-hmm. of this series. This is going to be a series on the Black Monk of Pontefract, but yeah. um, I, I guess uh, my question is, if you, it, it's difficult for me because I've I've gone on this journey with our show, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in October. But where I'm starting to believe more in evil evil in the world and the presence of evil and having uh, an influence on us things happening yes and so my question for myself is i'm saying to myself scott why if you believe in that Mm -hmm. why in these cases if you're believing this story and all the other stories of poltergeists uh or ghosts that hurl things around the room how come no one has ever been stabbed by a knife flying across the room or killed by it now conversely I do think that there is a wide series of, this is the other side of me. It's the the good me and the bad little guy on my shoulder or whatever. It's not necessarily good and evil, but this is the other side. It's like, well, how many unsolved murders are there? How many many times has someone died and there were no prints and there were no suspects and there was no motive, but the person was uh, killed by some strange and unusual. And, you know, that gets into this whole final destination thing. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the point at which if I was the me of a few years ago, I would have just turned this podcast off. So <laughs> the, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm just I'm just saying, like, what is it about that? Now, there's another part of me. And, you know, I, I would want to save this for later in the show to go into more depth of, about it. But I do wonder if there is, if you believe in good and evil and that you are there, that your life force is inherently good and that if something is hurled at you, that maybe instead of the thing that's hurling the item demonstrating restraint, it's more like you are protected. 
So, uh, yeah, well, by I, your own life force or by the positivity of your life, or could be, could be. I don't a, know. A lot of I'm people just believe in uh, in uh, you I'm know spitballing here. Guardian <laughs> angels, yeah. Uh, people, you know, people who are into spirituality will tell you there's a lot going on, or could be going on. It could be a combination of all that. And so, if you look at it, and with this case, just if we're looking at just the paintbrushes that flew by Diane's face, yeah, and and also uh, by Jean's face, right? Yes. Uh, that there is something here, again, messing with you and showing that it could hurt you or, you know, at least cause you a slap across the face or get wallpaper glue in your eyes. But it's also showing control. So we don't know if this is perception and that, you know, obviously maybe the paintbrush was moving. Maybe it wasn't moving as fast as you thought it was or or faster or something's going on there involving perception of uh, of seeing this event. Uh, by the people in the room, or something is flying that fast, but there is some, a lot, well, actually a lot of control over these physical objects in this space, and it's a way of this thing showing off, exhibiting total control. Now, to extrapolate on what you're talking about as far as like, well, why, you know, if these things are evil, what are the rules? Why don't, why doesn't a pot of boiling water spill on somebody? Or even a child, even a toddler. Uh, certainly, there's been human monsters alive that wouldn't stop there. What's stopping these things, you know, from from happening? Knives flying across, sticking in somebody's eye. Maybe you don't kill them, but you can cause serious bodily injury. Again, doesn't seem to be happening. What I will say, and I've come to believe this over the years, is that people can be influenced. Uh, I've brought this theory up on the show before. People in a vulnerable position whether spiritually or, again, a compromised through drug use or whatever it is that is compromising them. I believe people who dwell on hateful situations. How do we know all these cases of uh, people just dying? Maybe that's another theory I had, you know, people who die suddenly. Yeah. Um, I've known a couple uh, who just passed away suddenly for no apparent reason. It's very strange. Not to say that there's any influence there, but people pass away suddenly with no explanation. It happens. Uh, and so people in these cases like, well, you, you, you don't know. So anyway, to wrap that part up, it's like if you ask about uh, something having a laugh or playing a trick on you or just being a trickster, that seems to be the case in a lot, in a lot of these instances we're hearing about. And in the more darker ones, it can be taken to another level. So, I have an announcement to make. You found Bigfoot. Uh, no, because I probably would have tweeted that right away. Right, so then you, you solved Oak Island. You know who the Summerton Man is. Uh, you took a UFO for a joyride. Again, uh, would have announced that right away on social media. No, our mugs are back in stock, and I'm working on getting a separate page done on our website where you can see all of our terrific sponsors, like Squarespace, and their offer codes. Ooh, I should have guessed that. Well, is it hard getting the page put together on our website? <laughs> nah, dude, it's Squarespace. I probably should have guessed that, too. Well, even I could figure out how to draft a new web page for the site, because Squarespace makes it that easy. They really do. Not only is Squarespace super intuitive, but it lets you be super creative with your website. Once you see how easy it is to change and move things around using their ready-made, beautifully designed templates, you can let your imagination run wild because they give you the ability to customize the look, feel, settings, products, and more with just a few clicks. Their powerful e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online. 
I've noticed that even if you can't figure out how to change or add something right away, you just type your question into search and a simple step-by-step answer pops right up. And if that's not enough and you need more help, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there anytime you need it to walk you through what you need to do. We also never have to worry about installing patches or upgrades because they do that for you. And everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box. The hosting is free and secure, and they have all the analytics you need to help you grow in real time. So whatever it is you want to share with the world or sell to it, go check out Squarespace and see how easy it is with this special offer. Head on over to squarespace.com legends for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code legends to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Just go play around with your idea for free and have fun with it. So one more time, go to squarespace.com slash legends for your free trial, and then use offer code legends to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain when you're ready to launch. You can easily make your own website. You can make it stand out, and you can make it beautiful with Squarespace. Hey, I'm Teja, and I'm listening to Astonishing Legends here in Brazil. Now, let's get back to the show. So coming back around to the remodel scenario, after the issue with the brushes flying around and the wallpaper paste, Philip personally apparently saw a wooden pelmet, which is the wooden, kind of like the shroud that goes around the top of your window that the curtains hang. He saw that get torn out of the wall. This was, according to Colin Wilson, this was screwed into the wall with two-inch screws. This thing was torn out of the wall before his very eyes and thrown out the window, which presumably was open because there's no description of the window being broken. I think at night the house was generally open. Yeah, so, for, for a breeze, for a nighttime breeze. You, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it flies out the window and crashes onto the street below. Now this thing's being a real jerk. Yeah. So at this point, Joe, the dad, Pritchard, slams the door to Diane's room. And then they continue to hear this loud crashing coming from inside. Diane apparently reached out to touch the door handle, and her dad, Joe, said, don't. And at that moment, there was a loud bang on the door from inside. This is really fascinating to me. I I never really thought about this, but Colin Wilson suggests that the Pritchard family became convinced that whatever this thing was, it had a personality, and therefore was a specific kind of entity. It was, it was a thing. And as a result, what happened with the Pritchard family was that rather than deciding to flee the house, they were irritated by this interloper that was trying to get them to leave. So for nine months, they had continual heavy activity. This was all triggered by the remodel. Right when they were, and it's not really a remodel. They're just trying to fix uh, up Diane's room. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a freshen up. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the British term would be for that. But I'm sure it's uh, really uh, kind of cool and uh, and cute. But uh, yeah, uh, the idea though is that uh, nobody and apparently nothing likes change. It's it's as uh, Mary Shelley said. I always love this quote: "Change is the hardest thing for a human being to endure." And apparently for various spirits. Yeah. Uh, But imagine, you know, I've heard this a lot. It's like, oh, it's a cranky old guy who passed away in this house and he's owned it, whatever. And even if it's a relative uh, and they like it a specific way, can imagine, you know, imagine you would too. You you don't know your dad. You just come in and somebody's changed all your furniture around. Like, well, I liked it this way. Yeah. Who are you? Get out of my house. That's kind of the feeling. I'm going to throw wallpaper paste at you. It's like that dude on the train in Ghost. 
Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, no, that's, so, yeah. yeah. Like, we're, by the way, we don't reference any movies that have been made in the past 20 years. No. Really? Uh, oh, no, I'm I making a joke. So. Okay. It's like Ghost is such <laughs> right? an old movie. I know. It was a classic, though, of yeah, its yeah. day. I still never seen all of it. Really? No. And uh, so let's not get into that. But okay. the, the idea, though, is that uh, no, there's something when you t- you mentioned earlier when you talk about a space and it's either the ground or uh, the actual physical house, and we're wondering like, well, what's actually the haunted part of it? If you're if you're going to go down that road, what uh, is being affected is the objects in the room, and if you we believe don't, any of this at all, exactly. So we don't really know in this case, but something uh, that seems to be the action. The only thing that has changed. That was different in those two years where nothing happened. That seemed to spark this recurrence of really bizarre activity. And, and as we know from other stories, yeah, when people go to uh, remodel that, uh, uh, an old place, a historic place, sometimes that kicks up the activity. Yeah. And so that here in this little small way, just this freshening up of, uh, of Diane's uh, room, uh, her teenage room here, something seems to have reignited. And and to oh just a quick point to your earlier comment about uh, the poltergeist activity possibly being tied to to young people, fourteen. That's a yeah. You're, you're talking about a, a a virile time for a young teenager. Yeah. And so maybe that has something to do with it, which Colin Wilson referenced as well. Yeah. With Philip as well, is that they're they're going through uh, this this time of puberty and and uh, being a tween going into their teens that might cause a lot of emotional energy to react well and that's interesting this, this is a recurring theme and it's it's you know we're a, more or less a family show we're, we're gonna have some darker shows this october probably yeah. but like yeah. I, you know we'll always warn you but um there's one of the underlying themes of a lot of the stories that we've covered i remember thinking about uh in resurrection mary that's one of the things they talked yes. about was this idea of uh virginity and right. um and loss of innocence. And in a way, puberty is a comparison to that. All these things kind of work together. And then when you connect the spirituality of that experience as a young person growing up, and you connect that to this activity, this physical activity and these hauntings and everything, it takes on a whole other dimension. Of, <laughs> Possibly literally. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it gets really, it gets, there's a, there's lot of a, the, there's yeah. a dark dark side to all of that yeah there's a lot opinion. of themes and, going and on here we're not necessarily covering that here because we're trying to stay accessible but yeah. like even i if, i would say this even if you look at it fictionally like this is just story fodder this is myth and legend and lore fodder and it's it's, it's just there's an for great stories to it though yeah there are some uh, natural you know uh, organic thematic elements let's say light motifs that are happening here that uh, point to these dark elements and uh you know these these running kind of commentaries i I guess on humans and uh just natural you know human development biological uh as well as social aspects to it and so like like with like we talked about with resurrection mary the virginal white dress or sometimes it's the black one or it's of different colors but it's the lady in white and why is the lady in white so pervasive throughout the world I know people uh, were wondering, it's like, well, why are, you, why are you covering this so so much? You know, this one Chicago ghost story. Well, because we realize this is happening all over the world. What is going on here? It doesn't matter the culture. It uh, doesn't matter the time period. It's always happened. It will always continue to happen. And here, it's like there are some themes that are being pinged that are kind of global. 
Well, one of the things that freaks me out about this story at this point is that they start to try to name this thing. Oh, you're living with it so much, you might as well give it a name. Well, the first name they come up with, and I want to talk about this a little bit, is Mr. Nobody. (laughs) And there's something about Mr. Nobody that freaks me the (laughs) you-know-what out. It freaks me out, and I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, there's the idea of it, Mr. Nobody. It's this thing that's there. It's not there. It's definitely there, but we can't put a name on it. There's, it's very, it's, it's very descriptive. And, and we, we've made some friends over the past year or so that are, uh, that are, I guess you would say psychic or, uh, have, are experienced paranormal hunters. And they'll tell you that when you come up with a name like this, you're actually being more intuitive than you think you are. Oh, yeah. And so there's a part of me that's like, what, what is this Mr. Nobody? And then the other thing that freaks me out about it a little bit is that my son, uh, who is now nine, when he was younger, two or three years ago, he was on a whole kick about a Mr. Nobody. I didn't know this. Yeah, you uh, did not know this. Really? And you didn't I say to tell you now live on <laughs> wow, that podcast. That's, a, that's sitting on a joke for a long time. It's or, not a joke. Or, or it's, a, a he would story. just be like, uh, you know, it's Mr. Nobody. I'm Mr. Nobody. He never was implying that it was a, an imaginary friend. I'm okay. not trying to say that. Okay. He wasn't saying that. He was just saying, Mr. He was hung up on that expression. And I remember thinking, where did you get this from? And maybe, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm yeah. not nine years old. Right. Maybe this is a really well-known character <laughs> on a YouTube channel uh, or something. I, and Paw if Patrol. It is, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know where it came yeah. from. Dan TDM, whatever. Okay. It, it Maybe it's there, and I'm just being the old fuddy-duddy that doesn't know Mr. Nobody's a big deal, like Slenderman or do, something did like that. Did you ask him? I remember asking him about it, but it's been a few years now. And, you know, the thing is, when your kid's growing up, they go through all these phases of saying weird things. Sure, sure. You look at it, and then you completely forget about it, and it moves on to the next thing. So it's kind of like, I'm not, I don't remember a a specific discussion about it, but I remember thinking that I didn't like it. And then when Mm. we were researching this story, I was like, Mr. Nobody's back. (laughs) Like, so I don't know what that is. Okay. And so then... Apparently, later on, Jean Pritchard, the mom in the family, became convinced that this thing's name was Fred. Yeah. Now, and this connects back to us again because it goes oh, back to the Oak joke Island. I made on yes. Oak Island about the name of God. Yeah. Yeah, which was a joke. Uh, <laughs> but just want to make that absolutely clear. Right. You know, well, it's at Fred. And then also, um, I can't remember. If you're going to pick a name, sure. On uh, the Bell Witch. Yeah. Uh, was it the Bell Witch or something? I, I or No, no, no. It wasn't the Bell Who got crushed by the rock and i was like oh no no gobekli tepa yeah we were talking see i do remember the things we cover uh, i was sure. like poor fred got cu- crushed by the rock okay yeah <laughs> I, I don't know it's always it's a, fred it, it, but it's a stand-in name unlike uh, uh, the reverse of that or the opposite of that might be mr nobody which to me i i had uh i would say it was a nightmare I had a very uh uh, significant dream, let's say, yeah. and it was a, a you know, it was a, kind of a man in black kind of a thing, uh, or a shadow person, and uh, there was no face to it. Uh, it just yeah. glowed, and that no, kind of reminded me. thank you. It was like a Mr. Nobody. There, there, it's it's nobody here, but there's still a body. You yeah. Know, there's, there's still kind of a presence there. Uh, and then in Peter Straub's uh, Shadowland, I believe in the novel, uh, there is a faceless man that uh, haunts people. So, yeah. uh, and possibly probably murders them but uh no it's it's a weird creepy idea but here it's like they it's it what i like about it is that it's not such uh you don't give a name to a phenomenon it's like uh well the the house cools and there's creaking you know and that's the it sounds like somebody going up the stairs that happens all the time you know in the spring and the fall when it's the house is damp and it starts to warm up you don't give that a name usually yeah but this is 
there, I guess what I'm getting at is there's so much uh, personality to these events. And this thing. And this happening that uh, naturally you give it a name. Yeah. Well, so apparently this this new round of activity is starting to take place mostly at night when uh, it's about to be bedtime. And one thing that Colin Wilson points out specifically in his book Poltergeist, A Classic Study in Destructive Hauntings, again, which was published in 1993, one of the things that he points out is that a lot of this stuff uh, was not happening while Diane was at school. So, of course, we know where you're going to go with that, uh, especially the skeptics in our audience. Uh, they're going to think, oh, well, it's Diane. She's faking it. She's somehow causing these things to happen. But plenty of the events that happened early on in the story, Diane was not even home, including the initial event. So I just right. want to make that clear. She was not. She was out of town when that happened. So yeah. uh, that's just something to keep in mind. So... Uh, the, I guess there were loud bangs. There were a lot of levitating objects. The lights were going out in the house. And, and for that, the, the power was being cut at the main switch. Now, here's the thing about this. The switch was getting turned on and off so much, they actually taped it on. Yeah. And on top of that, it was inside a cupboard under the stairs. Remember that, because that's going to come back up. It was in a cupboard under the stairs, and they would go in there. The tape would not only be torn off, it would be missing completely... Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, that's right. You're missing yes, exactly. completely, and the main switch would be flipped off. So finally they decide they're going to try to look into an exorcism. They call a vicar. The vicar comes over, and he explains that a poltergeist cannot be exorcised. I did not know this until we did this story. It's more of my rules. Oh, yeah, no, it no, is I a rule. A ghost. <laughs> there is a rule. Uh, uh, there yeah. can be a possession. This can be exorcised. A poltergeist, however, if that's what this is, which it seems like it's what it is based mm. on the activity, cannot be exorcised. And then the vicar says, quote, um, they hold the process in contempt. I was going to ask you about this. What do you think that that means? It means if you do this, I'm going to be real mad. Okay, so they don't want you to the church. Yeah, the, it's as not going to work. Of the church. Yeah, don't try it. It's not going to work, and right. not only that, I'm going to make you pay for trying it. Oh, geez. So that's the Anglican uh, angle. Here. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and apparently, while the vicar was over at the house, the whole time he was there, nothing happened. He's over there talking, and Jean Pritchard, I guess, she was a little. Uh, disheartened that he wasn't <laughs> yeah. like it's nothing's going on. No, it reminds me very much of uh, of Poltergeist. Yeah, and our Twitter follower, the the mom from Poltergeist, Joe Beth Williams. Joe Beth Williams. Oh, she's awesome. She even yeah. liked one of our tweets. I was so thrilled. <laughs> right. uh, but it reminds me of that she was like, "Why is this? It's nothing going on?" She actually says to him after the vicar after he's been sitting there a while, "I'm sorry we dragged you all this way for nothing." The second she said that, there was a huge bang from upstairs. And then a candlestick jumped off the mantle onto the floor. The vicar apparently said, oh, the house is settling. Basically, the implication is that the house is falling down into the earth it's on one in. side. Yeah. yeah, there's a word for it, I'm sure. Substrate, something. Yeah, they're gonna, everyone can email us about okay. it. So, um, and, he, it, and so that's what he thought. And then right after he said that, another candlestick, a second candlestick, rose up off of a shelf or off the mantle and floated in front of the vicar's nose and then fell to the floor right in front of him. Mm -hmm. At which point, Gene Pritchett was like, the house is settling? <laughs> that, <laughs> well, do you still believe that? Then there was a loud crash in the next room. They jump up, they go in there, all of the cups and plates from the china cabinet are spread on the floor, but not a single thing was broken. That's unusual. 
Uh, you know yeah. what this reminds me of is no, when nothing happens, it's like it's going to the mechanic. It's like yeah. there's a knocking, and then you 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 make an appointment. You go to the you go to the the uh, auto shop, and uh, it doesn't reproduce yeah. the sound. It's <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. oh, man. And then of course you drive it home. Like there it is. It's doing it again. Yeah, yeah. They, no, they, that's the what the mechanic happened. thinks you're crazy. Yeah. Except in this case, what I love is that uh, Fred is going to put on a show for the vicar. Indeed. And so at this point, uh, after witnessing this stuff, he agrees that there's something evil present. And he, <laughs> this is his brilliant advice. Move. <laughs> Move. <laughs> get the get the hell out of here. That's his advice. No, what, it, what like, I love is that uh, it, it's just, it, it goes from like, there's answer A and then there's yeah, answer the B. The house is settling. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, it's evil. It, get out. <laughs> You're yeah. right, it is evil. Yes, but uh, and, and then, of course, uh, just you should just leave. But it, it's at this point in the book that Colin Wilson says, as you said earlier, you alluded to this earlier, you didn't just allude to it, you yeah. said it. And no, he says, in no case on record has a poltergeist ever caused grievous bodily harm. This was as of 1993. Right. I don't know if since then they have. But uh, he said that uh, victims have been bitten, slapped, but it's always been minor injuries. So we're going to mm-hmm. we're going to chalk that up to uh forest rules. But <laughs> so just after the vicar, uh his name was Davy, Mr. Davy, he left. Uh Diane was uh going up to her bedroom to uh go to bed presumably. Yeah, yeah. And then the lights turned off and as she stood in the hallway there, and I guess there was some light coming in from a street lamp out on the street mm-hmm. from uh, frosted glass uh which was down on the front door. Well, a lot of people have that. Yeah, antique so the, doors. Yeah, so the lights are off. Her dad, uh Joe, is looking for a flashlight. Diane, who's the 14-year-old, sees this large dark shadow appear on the wall. And then this heavy oak stand comes up off the floor and an electric sewing machine also heavy that had been on it both float up in the air in the hall and move towards her and they start pressing down on her and totally pinning her down keeping her from moving so she's she's now pinned down on the stairs but to the point of the rules the items could have totally crushed her from their weight but they didn't so whatever was heaving it clearly had the strength to crush her but it wasn't crushing her so finally she yells out, she screams, the lights come back on, and Jean, her mom, tried to move the furniture off of her but couldn't. Then Philip is helping Jean. So now we've got her older brother and her mom trying to get the furniture off of her, and they can't budge it. it it's, it's, like it's, it's, it's like it's set in stone and pinning her down. Finally, Jean, and who knows why this occurred to her, she tells Diane, her daughter, to just relax, try and relax, take a deep breath, and when Diane did... The force of whatever was holding her down relented, and they were able to pull the furniture off of her. And she had, by the way, no bruises of any kind. So I think that's really interesting. Again, that goes back to energy and understanding the power of good and evil and what's going on here, if, if you believe any of this at all. Mm. Or is, is it all made up? It's a lot of details for a made-up story, but hey, you know what? That's what they, they <laughs> no, say. That's, that's how that's it. They say that's how lying works. The more details there are, the more likely it is to be. Well, the, the, well, yeah, but if you're going to uh, do that, uh, uh, what they say is like, don't make it uh, too outrageous because then it's hard to remember all the details. Well, yeah, and, when, and I guess whatever for whatever, however scary that experience was of her being pinned down by the furniture, Diane, I guess, became convinced at that moment whatever it was didn't really want to hurt her. Right. So her mom takes her up to her room. No sooner does Diane go into the room, the lights go out again in her room. The bedclothes fly off the bed into the corner of the room, and the temperature crashes to a very cold, low temperature. 
right after that, her mattress flies off the bed, lands on her, pushing her down to the floor. All of this happens in what Colin Wilson describes as about one second. That's how fast it happens. That happened four more times that night. So, uh, and, and here's something that I wonder for us, and I brought this up to you earlier tonight mm. when we were at dinner uh, planning the show out, was I began to wonder if whatever it was that was pinning her down and whatever was happening in the room with the mattress flying off and her getting uh, thrown off the bed, I began to wonder if those were two different things. And the thing that was pinning her down was trying to keep her from going in her room to protect her. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's all speculation. It's the it's I call it the the ball of demons or the ball of spirits uh, scenario here, where there's there there could be a bunch of different things going on here. Actually, that is uh, hey joking. kids, Merry Christmas! <laughs> Come out and get your new demon ball. <laughs> One of those Christmas cracker things. No, I the uh, it, it just releases a bunch of spirits. The uh, that's actually one of the ideas here. We will be exploring uh, towards the end of our series. Here is that. Uh, there could be several different forces or entities or whatever you want to call them going on here or just things that are affecting change and events. And uh, like you said, that's interesting. It could be one thing trying to keep her from going to that room because at that moment, something could be spiritually dangerous or, you know, uh, there could be something flying around that could hurt her. We don't know, uh, but it's it, it's interesting to consider. But the thing that stands out to me as far as like, uh, you know, if this thing is exerting energy or showing off or it's a display, whatever it is, is that there's a lot of control. It's uh, displaying of material objects and energy because now, again, what attracted me to this story or one of the things that you don't often hear about is that it's one of the most dramatic cases of poltergeist activity that I've ever heard of, you know, where things are so... I guess affected other than like a skinwalker ranch. And then you wonder, is there some kind of tie in with that other kind of that, that other side, because you look at skinwalker ranch and you don't equate it usually to this kind of uh, post poltergeist haunting. You could say it doesn't, you know, that, you know, to me, I guess at the outset, it seemed more paranormal than it did supernatural. And there is a difference. I'm not going to explain it here, but uh, maybe later because I got to read up on it. So, but there, you know, there's a slight small difference in um, sensibility as far as uh, supernatural being something that we can't explain that is coming from a spiritual world. But the paranormal could be just something that science could explain one day. It's like, it's very strange. It's an occurrence, but there is a causality there that we could get a handle on, or science could get a handle on one day. So this is more in the spiritual, supernatural realm. And then again, you go back to something like Skinwalker Ranch. It's like, that's all paranormal. It's like, is there a supernatural, spiritual thing going on? Well, it kind of seemed to us towards the end of that investigation that, uh, that there are connections there between something like that and something like this. This is from uh, location uh, 1925 in the Kindle edition of uh, Colin Wilson's book, Poltergeist, A Classic Study in Destructive Hauntings. One snowy evening, Joe Pritchard's sister, Maud Pierce, arrived at the house. She had decided it was time to come and investigate the poltergeist in person. And it was clear that her attitude toward the haunting, in quotes, was skeptical. She felt there was something undignified about all the publicity. There's got to be a logical explanation for everything. You've just got to look for it, she said. 
Her idea of a logical explanation was that Philip and Diane were having a joke at everybody's expense. So that's the kids. She thinks the kids are up to this. No, that is the, yeah, I would say the next logical. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Joe Pritchard became mildly annoyed and told her she didn't know what she was talking about. Philip and Diane were indignant, but too polite to be rude. As they sat there, the room suddenly became cold. And Jean Pritchard had the familiar sensation that the poltergeist was around. Then the lights went out. Aunt Maud was sitting in the chair by the kitchen fire, and its red glow gave enough light to see what was happening. First of all, the refrigerator door swung open. A jug of milk floated out, sailed across the kitchen until it was poised above Aunt Maud's head, then tilted and slowly deluged her in milk. She jumped to her feet, spluttering. Jean found her way to the cupboard under the stairs, and the lights came on again. Aunt Maud pointed. It was those kids! No, it wasn't, said Jean Pritchard. They stood by me all the time. She began to mop up the milk from the floor in the chair. Aunt Maud refused to be convinced. Why had the lights gone out before it happened? Clearly because somebody had no wish to be seen playing tricks. Aunt Maud was very angry. Jean could understand her anger. She was soaked in milk. Look, why don't you stay the night and see for yourself? All right, I will, said Aunt Maud. She removed her hat and coat and looked around for her gloves. She could only find one. Don't worry, said Jean Pritchard. It'll turn up. Things always do. They moved into the lounge. The lights went out again and there was a violent banging sound. Aunt Maud yelled indignantly. Then the lights were turned on again. The chairs had been turned upside down and the electric fire pulled out of the fireplace. The contents of the refrigerator were strewn about the room, including a string of sausages. The children burst into shrieks of laughter, and Aunt Maud became more irritable than ever. What keeps happening to the lights? Something turns them off. You mean someone turns them off. Why don't you lock the cupboard door? We do, Jean Pritchard said, but it doesn't make any difference. That's the beginning of Aunt Maud's experience at the house. I, I love this. I love the like the skeptical person in the middle of this, and the whole family's around. And, and the whole family has told these stories to uh, Mr. Wilson during the course of his investigation. Yeah, yeah. And I got to say, when I read this passage in his uh, book, the first thing that popped into my mind loud and clear was the Bell Witch. Yes. This stuff, the, the parallels here between what's happening... And the specificity of it matches what was described in the Bell Witch story to a T, the only difference being there's no verbalization. Maybe it is Bell, because remember, Bell could travel overseas. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's travel to a spirit? I, obviously, there must be some, some rules there of international uh, travel and airfare. Uh, but uh, people have claimed also in these stories that some things have followed them home. Great yeah. distances. And, uh, That's my true. Is, and remember, yeah. didn't the Bell Witch, she made an appearance overseas. In England, I believe. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Uh, no, remember, it followed that guy who was a kind of a skeptic or wanted to write about it, and she didn't take to him too kindly, so... It uh, said something about his mom or something, right? Or it's, oh, there was some yeah. bilocation going yeah, on, because yeah. uh, uh, I believe his mom... Yeah, some, his parents heard something about him or, her, or his voice it disembodied at the same time overseas. Yeah. In England or something. Yeah, I'm a little vague. That's been a while uh, since I remember uh, we did that story. But uh, yeah, so what's time and space to a spirit? 
Well, so the next thing that happens is the whole family's sitting around still with Aunt Maud. She's, you know, experienced this stuff with the milk so far. They're cleaning up the mess. Then they see these hands. This is from location 1944 to 1949 in Colin Wilson's book, Poltergeist, a classic study in destructive hauntings, Kindle edition. Then they saw the hands. For a moment, they were petrified. One enormous hand appeared over the top of the door while the other was near the bottom of the door, about six inches from the floor. A closer look showed these hands were actually Aunt Maud's fur gloves. Whatever or whoever was wearing them must have had enormous arms, since there was a stretch of well over six feet between the top glove and the lower one. Aunt Maud, who was of an evangelical disposition, in fact, a member of the Salvation Army, pointed accusingly at the gloves and said sternly, Get away! You're evil! She picked up one of her boots and flung it at the door. (laughs) The gloves vanished. Jean Pritchard, in spite of her nervousness, could not resist saying, You still think it's the kids doing it? Then the gloves reappeared, floating into the bedroom. So this thing about these gloves, this is a scary thing. These floating hands and these gloves and her, and it's taken her gloves, no less, and it's controlling them. What does this remind you of? We just talked well, about floating hands. We just talked about disembodied uh, giant hands at Ripperstone Farm. Yes. In Wales. Exactly. Yeah. And our last, and that was our uh, Berwyn Mountain series there. Yeah, uh, the, the Welsh UFO. UFO flap. Again, there's so many tie-ins to these, uh, to, to something that might be UFO related, to ghost, to Why are so many people seeing floating hands, though? That is so crazy. Well, and then, of course, we uh, made the joke about the Star Trek episode where the giant hand grabs the <laughs> ship. Yeah. Which... It scared me to death when I was a kid. I was like, what is that giant hand? The point is that it's very, a hand is very symbolic. You know what it is. And it's uh, it gets your attention in this case. But there doesn't seem to be any faces yet, at least like disembodied faces. But I have heard, I was going to say, there's cases of that, of human fakirs from India being able to manifest a visage of their faces in, in a manner of bilocation. Well, you saw it on uh, a little bit of that, I guess, or or that kind of that kind of thing in uh, Star Wars. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's pretty spiritual in a way. People are more willing Spoiler to believe alert. that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you don't know where or how. I'm yeah, saying, or which one of the twenty Star Wars movies we're talking about? Exactly, it's going to come up someplace. But uh, but interesting, an interesting idea. Again, if you look at uh, why a hand. Well, a foot may be more comical, certainly a Monty Python kind of thing right <laughs> crushing the vicar, whatever it is. The hand, I mean, look how many times, uh, you know, uh, look at your emojis. Yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down, the one finger salute. It, the hand, is it's very iconic. So it gets your attention and it, it's very emotive. It tells you uh, what's going on. In this case, it's having a little fun dance with Aunt Maud's gloves. And it certainly uh, got the family's attention. But what's weird about uh, the UFO tie-in is that uh, Riverstone Farm, do you remember exactly what it was doing? I think it just came in and it came grabbed... In. Uh, it, it actually caused a little bit of physical irritation Yeah, uh, to the mother. Of, yes. Yeah. Which stayed with her for a while. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it had some effect. That one, I don't know if it's the same thing, but again, just some weirdness with the hand. But uh, that's not all the hand the hands were doing here, were they? Well, Scott? they yeah. came back, and then apparently they were beckoning them, which freaks me out even more. It's like, <laughs> where? To go where? Yeah. This is a, like a Pukwudgie situation. Yeah, it's right. like, come over here. Yeah. Come over here. And so it's beckoning them. And at that point, Aunt Maud breaks into onward Christian soldiers. Right. 
And she's singing this just loudly and proudly. And then the gloves began to, mocking her, yeah. began to conduct the song <laughs> as she was singing. Of course. Yeah. And uh, apparently Gene Pritchard, according to Colin Wilson, Gene Pritchard admitted to smiling when this happened. She's basically <laughs> laughing at Aunt Maud yes. and what these gloves are doing to her. And uh, not too long after that, Aunt Maud, I guess, became a true believer. And she, she turned to Gene Pritchard and said, you've got the devil in this house. Yeah. I, I, that's what I love. I love this point. Again, I'm not trying to turn anybody's beliefs here. I, I can't do that by talking to you. Uh, it's only by, you know, action that people are convinced and experience. That's what convinces people. Uh, but what I love about these cases is that if, if these are relayed ex- accurately, these events, and described accurately here, you have people who are coming in and, you know, rightfully skeptical about this. You should be when you come in. You don't know what's going on. You don't take people's word. You You need to investigate. But you do it with an open mind. But I love how these people are kind of staunch. And I, I, what I'm saying is I love that, that turning point, like with the vicar. It's the house settling, you know. It's a, and then, okay, that's more than house settling. Uh, there's evil here. <laughs> yeah, you should but, move. Uh, but, but, you should but, move. Yeah, we're not going to do anything uh, Here's a phone number it. of some moving companies. <laughs> like, what I love is it's a, that attitude, though, of like, okay, I'll agree there's something evil here. But, you know, we're not going to get involved. We don't want you to either. We have no recourse for this. We have no remedy you should just ignore this, get away, you know, leave it for somebody else. How's that? So as we're getting to know Fred or Mr. Nobody, we're kind of sensing that this thing, whatever it is, has a sense of humor. But maybe the devil himself has a sense of humor. And when we come back next week, we're going to find out what happens when this thing gets mad. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Astonishing Legends. We'll be back next week with part two of our series on the Black Monk of Pontrefact. Please remember to support our sponsors. They keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Bolin. Hi, this is Queen Elizabeth, and I listen to Astonishing Legends. I'm Kat Peter. I'm Rosanna Ridgway. I'm Mona Teja. And I give permission to, to Astonishing, Astonishing Legends, Legends Galaxy Wide in Perpetuity, A-N-A-K-A-T, Ridgway, Kat. Our show is edited by Sarah Wendell, and our theme, which is available as a ringtone, is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Ark and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at AstonishingLegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us at Patreon.com slash AstonishingLegends if you'd like to support the show in that way. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. <laughs>